The soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head, and they put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of his robe, and they put his own clothes on him, and they led him away to crucify him. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put the charge against him, which read, This is the Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on their le- right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself if you are the Son of God. Come down from the cross. So also the chief priest with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others, he could not save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani which is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them once ran and took the sponge filled with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come and save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. The tombs were also opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the city and appeared before many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. Tonight we are here to celebrate and remember Good Friday, which is which is the night when uh, Jesus laid down his life as a sacrifice for sinners. So tonight's order of service is going to be a little different than we normally do around here. We're going to be looking at Christ's night, Good Friday, that evening, and what transpired that led him up to the cross. We're going to be looking at that in three acts. So tonight what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at the first act here in a moment. I'll pray and we'll look at that and we'll sing a response song together. We'll look at the second act and sing a response song and the same with the third. And then at the end of that, we will take the Lord's Supper together where we are reminded of the body which was broken and the blood which was shed for us. And so when that comes, just a reminder to grab both of the elements together as they will be passed out, stacked on top of one another so you don't miss them. But with that said, let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, we come before you tonight, and we just thank you for the gift that you gave us, which was your precious Son, who laid down his life for sinners. 
And so, Father, we just ask that tonight that we would remember the precious sacrifice, what was necessary for us to become the sons and daughters of God. Be with us now as we worship you. Help us to look at the events of Christ and the cross and see it in a new light so that it might change our affections so we might better love you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Jesus' body is bowed and bloody. Act 1, the garden. 110 pounds of lumber is strapped across his shoulders. The weight of the rough wood proves too much as it grinds against the lacerations left by the Roman scourging. Pain explodes like light in Jesus' brain as he crumples under the beam. When Jesus comes to, he feels somehow weightless, and then he realizes that the wooden crossbeam has been removed from his back. He looks over and he sees another man carrying it now, a dark man whose face he still cannot see, but the face he does see is the face of another. It is a merciful Roman centurion who bends down and takes Jesus under the arm to lift him gently to his feet. Jesus looks up again, and he holds the soldier's captive eyes in his gaze. The victim's eyes do not pierce the centurion with the hatred that he expects to see. Love is mingled within the pain. Yes, broken-hearted love, but love nonetheless. And not a love excited by one mere act of kindness. No, so much more. This love preceded the moment. This love preceded his own existence. This love preceded even the existence of the entire world. Somehow the centurion knows that these are the eyes of eternal love. Jesus holds the soldier's gaze as long as he can, but the blood that dripped off the ends of his hair to the ground when he was bent low under the cross now drops into his eyes. The blood mixed with sweat stings, and so Jesus blinks. By this time Friday, Jesus is all too well familiar with that sting, but it was a pretty new sensation for him, for on that Thursday night in the garden was when he first felt it. There in the garden, he walked with his friends, singing hymns and speaking quietly. They passed through the city gate and walked up the hill of Gethsemane to the olive trees. But there were only 11 friends with Jesus, not 12. One of the 12 proved to be no friend at all. Satan already held Judas, the betrayer, by the hand, and then now by the neck. Judas hangs pale and gasping, swinging from the end of his belt under the limb of a tree. The flames of hell are already lapping at his feet. It would have been better if he had never been born. Eleven remained, but soon there would be none. No friend would stay. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. One would run terrified out of the garden naked and the rest would follow. Jesus fell on his face in prayer. He tasted the dirt as he fought for the eternal destinies of the eleven sleeping sheep a stone's throw away from him. Let the cup pass, he cried. Father, if possible, let the cup pass. The father gazed lovingly at his son, and the son stared back knowingly. Your will be done, father, whispered the son. And the father held out the cup, and Jesus looked into it. What he saw there flung him into the throes of agony. 
He pressed his forehead deep into the dirt, which softened into mud when it was mingled with his tears. Jesus felt several small explosions of pain underneath the skin on his face, for his tiny capillaries and the sweat glands burst under the stress, and the blood flowed through his pores and dropped then into his eyes, and it stung. Jesus lifted his head to the sky and cried out, I will drink from this cup, Father. I will drink from this cup so that your glory may be vindicated and my name may be glorified. And so that the sheep that you have given me will see our glory and enjoy it forever. I will drink on behalf of our rescue mission. Would you stand with us as we sing the power of the cross? of the darkest day Christ on the road to Calvary Tried by sinful men Torn and beaten then Nailed to a cross of wood This the power
Act 2, the trial. Just then, through blurry eyes, Jesus saw the line of torches slithering like a snake up the hill to the garden. The mob arrived. Judas kissed. Friends fled. Soldiers arrested. And Jesus' world became a swirl of torment and mockery. His trial was a sham as liars lied and mockers mocked. God claimed to be God, and it was called blasphemy. And the face that Moses longed to see, the face that he was forbidden to see, was slapped and spit upon. More blood in the eyes, more stinging. As he was dragged from the high priest's house, Jesus managed a bloody-eyed glance at Peter. A friend ran from the garden, but this friend then followed. And this friend had done the unthinkable three times. This friend denied the friend of friends. This friend denied the friend of sinners. He invoked a curse to lend credence to his denials. And now the cock crowed, and Jesus held Peter in the gaze of eternal love. But Peter looked away, and he ran. Just outside the city gate, he stumbled and fell to the ground, heaving sobs, and considered joining Judas on the tree. But he pleaded to the Father for forgiveness instead, and the Father then looked a few hours into the future to Friday afternoon, and on behalf of what he saw there, he granted Peter the forgiveness that he requested. The governor of Judea was up early this cold, gray, and wet Friday morning. The city still slept as the priests and the soldiers led Jesus to the palace of Pontius Pilate. But soon the priests would have a sympathetic crowd as news of Jesus' arrest passed from house to house. They leveled their charges. This man forbids us to pay tribute to Caesar, and he calls himself a king. Pilate stared intently at Jesus. He questioned him, and yet he found no guilt. Neither did King Herod. So Pilate offered to release Jesus to the swelling and angry crowd. But they chose freedom for the murderer Barabbas instead. Then what should I do with Jesus of Nazareth? Pilate shouted to the mob. The mob thundered back, crucify him, crucify him. And their voices prevailed. Pilate washed his hands and delivered the innocent one to death. Next, Jesus was stripped and his hands were tied above his head to a post. A large shirtless Roman legionnaire stepped forward towards Jesus, fondling a short whip. Several heavy leather thongs hung off the handle, weighed down by the small balls of lead attached near the ends of each one. The muscles in the legionnaire's back and arms bulged as he brought down the heavy whip with full force again and again and again across Jesus's back. The Jews would have been more merciful, no more than 39 lashes, but the Romans extended no such mercy. And the balls of lead yielded large, deep bruises. Then the bruises were eventually broken open by the endless blows. They cut deeply into the skin and deeper even into the muscles. From behind, Jesus no longer looked human. His skin hung in long, bloody ribbons of tissue. Fearing they had gone too far and killed Jesus before it was time, the soldiers cut him loose, and he fell in an unconscious heap at their feet. Would you stand with us as we sing, How Deep the Father's Love for Us?
As Jesus came to, he was forced to stand. A purple robe that was not his own was wrapped around him and clung to his open wounds. They made him hold a stick, a mock scepter. And now the king of the Jews needed a crown. One of the Romans picked up a thorn branch nearby from a pile of firewood and braided it into a circle. Never did thorns compose so rich a crown or so painful a crown either. Another soldier took the scepter from the hand of the king of kings and beat the crown into his skull. Bloody sweat blinded him, and his stinging eyes momentarily took his mind off the pain that was in his back. But then the purple robe was torn from Jesus, and the ribbons of flesh that adhered to the cloth were ripped off with its removal. Each wound had a voice of its own to shriek its pain, and Jesus collapsed again. Now Jesus is dressed in his own clothes, and before the merciful centurion can move Jesus along behind the dark man that is now carrying the cross, an old woman approaches and wipes Jesus' face with a linen cloth. Jesus looks her in the eyes and then looks to the crowd of weeping women behind her 
And he says, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. The days are coming when they will say, blessed are the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. And to the old woman, he adds, if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it's dry? Then Jesus walks on beyond the city gates. It's now nine o'clock in the morning. Though the steady rain, through the steady rain, Jesus glances up from the base of a rocky hill. Its name is Golgotha, the skull. At the top, he sees several posts fixed in the ground. Three of these poles stand ready to receive their crossbeams and the tattered body of Jesus and the two criminals carrying their crosses behind him. At the top of the hill, the merciful centurion hands Jesus a cup. Jesus sniffs the liquid. It's mixed with myrrh and wine, a mild narcotic given to dull the pain. But Jesus is meant to feel all of the pain, so he hands the cup back. This is not the cup of his father. A soldier strips Jesus. Again, his back is set on fire as skin tears away from the cloth. Jesus now lays naked in the dirt. The dark man places the crossbeam by Jesus' head. This time, Jesus sees his face. It's Simon of Cyrene. Jesus knows him by name and knew him by name before there was time itself. The beam becomes his pillow now. Two men take hold of his hands. The soldier on the left yanks his arm as far as it will go, but the soldier on his right is gentler. Jesus turns to him. It's the merciful centurion again. He picks up a cold spike and places it to Jesus' wrist. He then picks up a hammer. Their eyes meet. Eternal love shines forth again, and the centurion is undone. He looks away and lifts his hammer. In that moment, Jesus hears his own word of power, the word of power that holds the merciful centurion in existence, the word of power that causes the hammer to be. He's speaking it all into being. The soldiers, the priests, the thieves, the friends, the mothers and the brothers, the mob, the wooden beams, the spikes, the thorns, the ground beneath him, and the dark clouds gathering above. If he ceases to speak them into existence, they will all cease to be but he wills that they remain so the soldiers live on and the hammers come crashing down. Jesus is lifted on his crossbeam to the post. He sags, held only by the spikes in his wrists. Jesus designed the median nerves in his arms and they are working perfectly now. The pain shoots up those nerves and explodes in his skull as the crossbeam is set in place. His left foot is now pressed against his right foot both feet are extended, toes down, and a spike is driven through the arch of each. His knees are bent. Jesus immediately pushes himself up to relieve the pain in his outstretched arms. He places his full weight on the spikes in his feet, and they tear through the nerves between the metatarsal bones. Splinters from the post pierce his lacerated back, searing in agony. Quickly, waves of cramps overtake him. Deep, throbbing pain from his head to his toes. He is no longer able to push himself up and his knees buckle. He's hanging now by his arms. His pectoral muscles are paralyzed and his intercostals are useless. Jesus can inhale, but he cannot exhale. 
His compressed heart is struggling to pump blood to his torn tissues. He fights to raise himself in order to breathe and in order to speak. He looks down at the soldiers who are now gambling for his clothes. He pushes himself up through the violent pain to pray aloud, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. Then he sags back into silence. The crowd is not silent. Though he can barely hear their taunts through the dins of his pain, he saved others, let him save himself, they cried. If you are the Christ, come down from the cross. Save yourself, King of the Jews. The criminal on the cross to his left joins in the mockery, but the thief to his right repents. Jesus pushes himself up to say to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It's noon now. The rain falls harder and the clouds blacken. Jesus looks down through wet strands of hair into the familiar face of a woman. A new pain grips him. Greater pain than all the whips and spikes in the kingdom of Rome. It's his mother. She's sobbing so hard that her breathing is as labored as his. Without words, she looks into his eyes and begs to know why. He longs to hold her and tell her that it's all for her. He pushes upward and says, woman. Then he looks his friend John in the eyes. John is standing behind her, supporting his own weeping mother. He is now your son, he says. Then to John, Jesus murmurs, and she is now your mother. Take her away from here. Jesus then sags back into silence, back into countless hours of limitless pain. Then Jesus is startled by a foul odor. It isn't the stench of open wounds, it's something else, and it crawls inside him. He looks up to his father, his father looks back, but Jesus doesn't recognize those eyes. They pierce the invisible world with fire and darken the visible sky, and Jesus feels dirty. He hangs between earth and heaven, filthy with human discharge on the outside, and now filthy with human wickedness on the inside. The Father speaks, Son of man, why have you sinned against me and heaped scorn on my great glory? You are self-sufficient and self-righteous, consumed with yourself and puffed up and selfishly ambitious. You rob me of my glory and worship what's inside of you instead of looking out to the one who created you. You are greedy, lazy, gluttonous, slanderer, and a gossip. You are a lying, conceited, ungrateful, cruel adulterer. You practice sexual immorality. You make pornography and fill your mind with vulgarity. You exchange my truth for a lie and worship the creature instead of the creator. And so you are given up to your homosexual passions, dressing immodestly and lusting after what is forbidden. With all your heart, you love perverse pleasure. You hate your brother and murder him with the bullets of anger fired from your own heart. You kill babies at your convenience. You oppress the poor and deal slaves and ignore the needy. You persecute my people. You love money and prestige and honor. You put on a cloak of outward piety, but inside you are filled with dead men's bones, you hypocrite. You are lukewarm and easily enticed by this world. You covet and can't have, and so you murder. You are filled with envy and rage and bitterness and unforgiveness. You blame others for your sin and are too proud to even call it sin. 
You are never slow to speak. And you have a razor tongue that lashes and cuts with its criticism and sinful judgment. Your words do not impart grace. Instead, your mouth is a fountain of condemnation and guilt and obscene talk. You are a false prophet leading people astray. You mock your parents. You have no self-control. You are a betrayer who stirs up divisions and creates factions. You are a drunkard and a thief. You are an anxious coward. You do not trust me. You blaspheme against me. You are an unsubmissive wife. You are a lazy, disengaged husband. You file for divorce and crush the parable of my love for the church. You are a pimp and a drug dealer. You practice divination and worship demons. The list of your sins goes on and on and on and on. And I hate these things inside of you. I am filled with disgust and indignation for your sin consumes me. And so now drink my cup. And Jesus does. He drinks for hours. He downs every drop of the scalding liquid of God's own hatred of sin mingled with his white-hot wrath against that sin. This is the Father's cup, omnipotent hatred and anger for the sins of every generation, past, present, and future. Omnipotent wrath directed at one naked man hanging on a cross. The father can no longer look at his beloved son, his heart's treasure, the mere image of himself. He looks away. Jesus pushes himself upward and howls to heaven. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Only silence, separation. Jesus whispers, I thirst. He sags. The merciful centurion soaks a sponge in sour wine and lifts it on a reed to Jesus' lips. And the sour wine is the sweetest drink he ever tasted. Jesus pushed himself up again and cries, It is finished. And it is. Every sin of every child of God has been laid on Jesus. And he drank the cup of God's wrath dry. It's three o'clock, Friday afternoon, and Jesus finds one more surge of strength. He presses his torn feet against the spikes, straightens his legs, and with one last grasp of air, he cries out, Father, into your hand I commit my spirit, and he dies. The merciful centurion sees Jesus' body fall far forward, and his head drop low. He thrusts a spear up behind Jesus' ribs, one more piercing for our transgression, and water and blood flow out of his broken heart. In that moment, mountains shake and rocks split. Veils tear and tombs open, and the merciful centurion looks up at the lifeless body of Jesus and is filled with awe. He drops to his knees and declares, Truly this man was the Son of God. Mission accomplished. Sacrifice accepted. Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son. We thank you for the payment that was paid in full. So, Father, we know that there is nothing that we could ever do 
to earn your forgiveness, to earn your acceptance. So that comes to us freely and fully by grace through the sacrifice of your one and perfect Son, Jesus. As we come now to the Lord's table, we ask that each one here, that we would examine ourselves, that we would see if we are proclaiming the Lord's death in the way that we live. So, Father, we just ask that you would remove any wicked way from us, that we would walk in righteousness as you've called us to, that we would not love the sin of this world, which so easily entangles, that we would fix our eyes and our gaze upon the Holy One. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. This time we're going to ask our ushers to come as they hand out the elements. You can think and reflect upon the song that we sing now. Jesus, thank you.
Tonight, we are here to remember the perfect sacrifice that was paid in full for our sins. And that perfect sacrifice was the, blo- was the body and blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And why, is, why was a sacrifice needed? Because of our sin. For our sin created a debt that we could never pay. And so Christ, out of his great love with which he loved us, paid it in full. For that was the only payment that could ever pay it in full. Not a million lives lived full of good works. Not a million prayers or a million I'm sorry's would ever cover the sin and the offense that we made against the Holy God. So tonight we come to the Lord's table to receive the elements, not as a means of receiving grace, for no more grace could ever be given. Not as a means of covering up our sins for a temporary period of time, but strictly as a reminder of the precious body and blood that was spilt for our sin. So because of this, we do say, Jesus, thank you. And not just with our mouths here tonight at this moment, May it be that we say, Jesus, thank you with our very lives as we put our sin to death and live in the victory that he purchased for us, which comes to us by sheer grace and the faith by faith in Christ's work upon the cross, which only alone can atone for our sin. And so as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, beginning in verse 23, he says, For I received from the Lord... What I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then in verse 25, in verse 25 it reads, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The Lord's Supper is solemn joy. Solemn because of the price that was necessarily to be paid, but joyful because of the great gift that it was for us and the joy that it brings us. For because of Christ's work on the cross, we can say joyfully, In our solemnness, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, and it washed me white as snow. Would you stand with us as we sing our closing song, Jesus Paid It All.
today comes from Acts 2, verse 24. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for death to hold him. Sunday is coming, church, and it has came. And so praise God it did because our hope was not just in a life that was laid down and died. It was in a life that rose from the grave victoriously, which means the same is coming for us by grace through faith in him. Go in that hope. 
We'll meet back here Sunday morning at 8.15 for breakfast and our Easter worship service at 10 a.m. God bless.